Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast again. And so I hope you have your Bibles, because this is our Bible, and every word is true. It's God's Word, and we know that it is all we need. The more that we're studying, the more we're realizing that isn't just a cutesy little phrase that I make you say all the time, but that it is true, and that it gets more embedded in our minds and in our hearts, that we it becomes a good habit to go to God's Word when we need answers. When when we're disappointed, when when we're surprised, and life is taking a turn, and when we're happy, and when we're sad, I mean, God's word is just so perfect for whatever you are going through today. So may that just be an encouragement to keep your Bibles open. And and so would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we come to you. We just love you so much. We're so grateful. We're in awe of who you are. And we're so grateful for Jesus. And I guess that's most of all, because we know we would be lost without him. And that's not just now, but for all eternity. So we're grateful for what your word does for us. It encourages us. It it motivates us. It keeps us on track. It keeps us going in the right direction. It keeps us being real. And that's what we want. We want authenticity. We want to be real children of yours. So not just in name, but in action so that we can be used by you. So, Father, again, we're grateful for your word because that does everything for us. And so as we go into this chapter 25, Lord, may we be ready to hear from your spirit that will take these words that are simply black and white on a page and then make them life to us, make them real to us so that we can see why they're there for each and every one of us. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. You deserve it all. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit, we're so, we're so thankful for you because you are so willing to, to open our eyes and our hearts so that we can see ourselves become more and more Christ-like and we can see less and less of ourselves. Father, it's been so noticeable in the book of Acts. So as we go into this chapter, we are ready. So we open ourselves up to you, and we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, as you know, I love to review. I I do. I love to review, and and for some, they think that's kind of a waste of time. Why don't I just get right into the chapter? But when you do a verse-by-verse study, I just think it's every. Every now and then, um, after we've gone through, you know, certain chapters, just to kind of go back, and and I personally do that because, um, and I was doing that this week, and I noticed that I started thinking about the the whole life of Paul, and and how. From the very beginning of Acts, we're introduced to him as a, a high-rolling Pharisee. I mean, he is ranked, and he is known, and he is smart and intelligent and charismatic and, and knows how to preach, so intellectual. And and then we watch him stand there at the feet of of. Um, of Stephen practically, you know, taking all the coats of those who are are hurling the stones at him. And he's approving, he's approving of that terrible murder. And then to watch the Lord get a hold of him because the Lord from from before time knew how he was going to use Paul. And, you know, as I 
as I go into Paul's life, I also think, now, how can that be me? How can I relate Paul to my life? And I hope that these aren't just stories to you, that you're not learning how wonderful Paul is, but that you're seeing that these same principles, the way God worked personally with Paul, that he works personally with you and I, and as he was working personally with Paul, he had a plan. And even though Paul was, you know, so caught up in religion, he was so churchy, he never missed a service, I'm sure. And he was always in the front row, or he was behind the pulpit, and he, he was he was just a preaching away, and he was he was well, he was we know he was taught by Gamaliel, and we know he, he was the top of the class. And so we can just picture that. And, and I think from our personal West Michigan area, we have a tendency to think that we have grown up in this and many of us have been to church all of our lives practically. And, and we, we get a little lax and we, we get a little nonchalant. And I think as we are moving into this, this season of, of, um, of, well, we're in Lent, and as we're moving through the the week of Jesus, and we get to Palm Sunday, and we get to Good Friday, and we get to Easter, it just reminds us that this gospel story is complete. The, the whole, our salvation is complete in Jesus. And when he, when Jesus got his um, hand around Paul's neck, so to speak, and Paul went to his knees and, and he was humbled. And how then the Lord opened his spiritual eyes from being just religious and intellectual and, and knowing all the right words of the Old Testament. And he made, he made himself come alive to Paul. Paul was never the same after that experience. And then do you relate that to you? Have you have you seen a change in your life that that even though you might have been raised in religion and and you know a lot of verses and but but do you ever stop and think it's kind of like what what Jesus had John write to the people of Ephesus. Do you ever go back to your first love? Do you ever remember when you came to know Jesus personally? And did it really change your life? Is it changing your life? Is it continuously changing your life? And and then we saw how Paul, in, in the years, as he then re-studied, and instead of all what he had learned in the Old Testament, he started taking the story of Jesus and said, you know, everything that I was before, I come for nothing, because now I preach Jesus and him crucified. See, Jesus is the answer. I know there was a, a song that years ago, it said, Jesus is the answer for our world today. And boy, that was true years ago, and it's true today. And and what Jesus needs is for people like you and I to, to be excited about what he did for us so that we can then shine this light, share this word to others so that we can take other people along. Do people look at our life, and even when we're not talking about Jesus, can they see that change in us? And then, then we, we watch how 
as, as Barnabas brought, went to Tarshish to get Paul to come back and then his missionary journeys start. And then it seemed like, did you notice or did you ever think that it seemed like once Paul's life was changed, well, once he was saved, once he knew that Jesus was his answer, did you ever think that from then on, it was never easy for him? And, you know, and that's why so many people think that when you become a Christian, you know, then you can start looking through rose-colored glasses at life because everything will be rosy. But sometimes, and I think in the life of Paul, his life just got more difficult. It got harder. He suffered. And yet, and yet, don't you remember, and we're going we're gonna to take a couple of his letters. When we're done with Acts, if you're wondering, what are we going to do? Is it time to stop? No, it is not time to stop. We've got to continue. And, and then when you, if we go into some of Paul's letters, to, especially Philippians, to be able to hear Paul sitting in prison and, and going through these hardships and being stoned and left for dead and being, being accused falsely. And in these last weeks, in our last lessons, he's going from, from you know one governor to the king and one trial to the next trial. And it just, you know, people that he least expected, his own people were coming against him. And then he had to try to explain to these Jews that Gentiles could come into the into the fold, into the into the family of God. They didn't have to become Jews to be saved. They didn't need circumcision. No, they come to the cross. You come to the cross. And oh, they, they got all worked up and shook up about that. And then we'll see today. They lie. They they have no proof. And yet, Paul is just standing up. You know, the song that came to my mind when I was going through this lesson today, Acts chapter 25, all I could think about was stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner and must not suffer loss from victory unto victory. See, I, that's the part I love. From victory unto victory when, when you have that relationship with Jesus. Life is hard. And yet from victory unto victory we can go. Because Jesus will never leave us. And he will be with us through it all. And when our circumstances are difficult, from victory unto victory... So when, you're a, when you stand up for Jesus, when you're a soldier of that cross, then I think that we develop and we become the people that he wants. And that we really see in these Jews that are making life so hard for Paul, that we see how, how self is just, well, it's ugly. It's deceitful. And how we need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. So see why I like to review? Because I just get fired up. I, I get excited when, when I watch how the Lord plans and how he can take your life, my life, Paul's life, and get us where we need to go and be what we need to be. 
and he never said it would always be easy. In fact, we're seeing that that the the persecution of the church is what really caused it to to grow, to move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're living in a day and age where instead of being nervous and fearful and panicky and doomed, that we can see how the Lord can use the times we're living in to make us stand up for Jesus and be soldiers of the cross, to make us bolder and braver because we are, we are so grateful for what he has done for us. Now, this is what I saw in Paul, and no matter what he had to go through, he never backed away. He took the lumps, he took whatever, it, he took the suffering, he took the persecution, he took it for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to go through whatever you need to go through so the Lord can use you for, for himself as a testimony, as a witness? Well, now, that's just my little two cents as we get into this chapter. And we, we left off last week when, when Paul was before Felix, the governor. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of same old, same old. The same Jews are, are coming against him, trying to, um, well, they call him, they call him troublemaker. I mean, here you've got, you've got um, Felix, um, that is going to try him, and and who's going to be kind of like the the lawyer? Well, the the chief priest, the high priest Ananias, he brought his his smart mouth lawyer, who just you know peppered Felix with all these you know we talked about all that flattery last week, and you know we have to be so mindful, and you could just see right through that. And then he said, we found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, to be a ringleader. All those words. And then, of course, he got all the Jews joining in in the accusation. And, and then when Paul spoke, he was very calm. And see, this is another attribute that I, I so want, that in the midst of tough life when when you when you might be um, accused of something or falsely accused or maybe people misunderstand you and and you hear rumors or gossip and and it to be instead of getting riled up Paul just he kind of looks at Felix and says you know what I've heard that you were once a judge in other words I, I heard you were fair you're fair. And he says, I want you to know you can easily verify. If you even have a half of an attempt, you can easily verify that these things that they're saying are false. My accusers, they did not find me arguing. That's not true. They cannot prove to you the charges. And then he says, I'll be honest with you, I am a change man. I am now a follower of the way, which simply means I now am obedient to Jesus. My life was changed because of that cross. And he says how Jesus died and rose again. 
And you tried to explain, even though I now am a member of the way, the gospel, I followed Jesus, he saved me, he cha he's changing me. That, that doesn't mean I'm disowning my religious heritage. And he tries to explain that. And then how, how when um, Felix then brought later, for an, an several days later, it says that Felix came with his wife, Jerusalem, who was a Jewess. You know, Felix was very well acquainted with the way. And, you know, then when we read farther, no wonder he was, because he married a Jewess. And then he sent for Paul, and then Paul started again. He started a little deeper, because it says that um, Paul, just, when he started his discourse, when he started his talk, he talked on righteousness. And I mentioned last week, Luke didn't go into all of the details, but we know that when Paul got on the subject of righteousness, we know that Paul explained the gospel and made sure that Felix understood that everyone needs to come in confession and repentance, seeing themselves as unworthy. Well, when you start talking about righteousness, because those are the terms, coming to the cross humbly, seeing yourself the way you truly are. When he started getting into that language, of course, Felix then starts feeling guilty, uncomfortable, but that's what it's supposed to do. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to do something about the truth? Or am I going to plug my ears? And you could tell Felix was getting uneasy. It said he was afraid. And so then he said, okay, that's enough. You may leave me now and I will call you. It's kind of like Felix says, um, uh, don't call me, I'll call you. Felix wanted it his way on his terms. And that's not the way it works. We can't do it on our terms. We have to do it on God's terms. And again, the center of God's terms is Jesus and the cross. Well, then it says that he did call for Paul, but not to hear more news. He was hoping that he could kind of, uh, that Paul would offer him a, a bribe. How come it always goes down to bribes, money, and all that? Instead of fessing up and realizing how badly he needed that message that Paul was trying to tell him, then all he's consumed about was his self. And then look, it says even two years passed and, and Festus now is taking over, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. And then today's lasted three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them. See, Felix, Festus, they want to they, they, they wanna please the Jews. And for some reason, they have just got this problem that they succumb to the truth just because they want a reputation, a good reputation with the Jews. So 
The Jews urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. I mean, how terrible is that? What a dirty way to operate when, you're, when you call yourselves religious. And down deep, they knew they wouldn't be able to get a fair trial. They, they knew that they didn't have proof. And if, if there was going to be any justice done, they knew that Paul was never going to be killed. So they took matters into their own hands. So they, ur they urgently requested Festus to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, which then they had this, they concocted this plan. To, I mean, this isn't the first time that they concoct a plan to ambush, to kill him along the way. Festus answered, see, this, Festus doesn't even realize, but, but this is God's protection. See, Paul is not going to leave this earth without fulfilling God's purpose in his life. A minute early or a minute late. Now, why can't we get that through our minds? That would take away so much fear and anxiety and worry. That the Lord has our days numbered and he knows what he wants to accomplish through us and we are not going to leave this earth and a second early or a second late. And so here we have Festus then saying, but then of course this is God's protection, Paul is being held in Caesarea at Caesarea and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. In other words, it's, no, it's not going to work that way. No, I'm going back to Caesarea, and you take a few, and you come back with me, and that's the way it's going to be. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. See, now... Luke is writing this, and when he's writing to Theophilus, he wants Theophilus to know they had nothing. In fact, if you want a true picture of what self looks like in religious people, you talk about a rotten heart. I mean, and that's why I pray today that we so want to be the real thing. We want God's spirit working in our heart, motivating our actions and our decisions. Because just look, just look at the, what they look like here. They couldn't prove a thing. So then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple, or against Caesar. I mean, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? I mean, he said, I have done nothing against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. See, they've tried to use all of those. And Paul knows he's innocent. 
Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. See, this is where he pulls the Roman citizen thing that God had given him that he would be able to use because if he would have gone back to Jerusalem, it's like, it's like the Lord through his spirit is just making Paul so aware of his surroundings and and preventing him from going back there. And he had what it took to be able to say to Festus, no, I'm not going back, and I don't have to go back because I'm a Roman citizen, and I, I, I'm, I am going to stand before Caesar's court. That's where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. You know, without saying it, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure when he said that to Festus, I mean, that, that pulled a cord. That, that struck a nerve. You know, in other words, why don't you stand up, Festus? You know this is true. Why don't you stand up against these, these wrongdoers? So much of Paul in these, these chapters, I mean, doesn't it just so remind you of Jesus, doesn't it? What Jesus had to go through. And if, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. He's saying to Festus, you know I'm innocent. But I'm telling you that if I've really done something that is worthy of death, I am willing to take my punishment. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. See, can you, can you see the, that old children's song? And really, it's not just children's song, but, but yet um, I learned it when I was a child. And, but look at the, his posture. Look at, look at his confidence. Look at him standing up for the truth of Christ and not buckling under the pressure like these, like these high rollers are doing. The people with power, they're the ones that are weak. And then you have someone like Paul who is willing to stand. You talk about your strength is perfect in Christ Jesus. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So, that's what he said. All right, you're a Roman citizen. You have a right to do this. So you appealed to Caesar, you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. They must be fast friends or something. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. 
He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Don't you love putting yourself in, in this story? And You can just kind of picture these two guys talking, you know, they're probably relaxing and they're, you know, they've, they've got, they've probably had a big meal and they, they've probably are sipping on their, their wine and who knows, they might be smoking a cigar, who knows, and, and they just start talking and, and Festus, no, I got a good one for you. I've had this man, and then he goes on to explain Verse 16, I told them, I told those Jews, I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. So he's telling the king Agrippa, I, I follow protocol. I got them to come here. I told them that that's what he, they had to do. When they came here with me, I didn't delay. I followed through with the case. I convened the court and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Of course, he's thinking that there, there's some crime against, you know, they some criminal that that, you know, now the Romans can say, you did this and such, and so now you have to pay this punishment. And But it didn't work that way. The Jews came and accused him of crimes that he wasn't expected and that he expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute. So it really wasn't even criminal. It was points of dispute. About what? About their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Oh, can you imagine this had to be a great story for King Agrippa? He's listening intently. Festus is saying, you know, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a jam here. I'm in a pickle because I thought it was going to be cut and dry that their name is crime, that they then would be able to do something about it. And instead, they, they tell me that they have this dispute over their religion. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. So he's saying, he's saying, I even tried saying, you know, if this is between, you know, you and, and them and it's a religious thing, and then why don't you go back to Jerusalem and it's just common sense that you deal with it there. And when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. I'm sure he said to King Agrippa, he, he said, no way, I'm not going. In fact, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. So that's why Paul says, I'm really in a dilemma here. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. 
He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. So I'm sure Festus is thinking, oh, great. This is off me. Now we can get the king to hear it, and then he will know what to do. Did you also notice in these last lessons, does Paul ever, does he ever succumb to pressure? Or have you seen him make the most of every opportunity, no matter what? I mean, this is why you can't help but look at people like Stephen and Philip willing to go into that desert and meet that Ethiopian eunuch at his chariot. I mean, that all, that all takes self-denial. And it takes a real confidence in God's spirit and his leading. It sure does take a boldness to stand up for Jesus and to be a soldier of the cross. But as you have contrasted these men and their behavior and their willingness to do what and, and even give their life and what go through all this suffering and persecution, no matter how hard their lives got, I got to tell you, I say, I want to be like that. That's what I want to be like. Because I'm reading every chapter and I'm watching this Jewish sect of people who are willing to lie and plot to kill. And, and I'm thinking, what? I don't want any part of that nonsense. I don't want that, that phoniness. I definitely want more than religion. Religion doesn't change you. Only the cross of Jesus changes you. And that's why in reviewing and going back, and it's just getting more and more obvious as we are, as we are now seeing Paul more under prison guard and he will never be a free man again. However, we've said it many times in the last weeks, he never gave up. He never threw in the towel. He never thought, well, you know, that's it. I just now lay here and wait to die. Or wait to be murdered. No, he made the most of every opportunity. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter who it was. I mean, he is rubbing elbows with some pretty hobnobs here. And you got the governor, and now you got the king Agrippa, and he doesn't back away. So the next day, verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officials and the leading men of the city. I don't know if this is just a girl thing or what, but oh, I let my mind wander. I let my imagination picture this because, you know, Luke makes sure that we know that these two 
Agrippa and Bernice walked in, you know, band is playing, the trumpets are proclaiming them. They come to, they come in and walk into all this pomp and circumstance, and you know, they carry themselves with such an ego, an air. And everybody in the room is all of they're all high-ranking officials and leading men of the city. Oh, this is this is the invitation to be in. This is where you want to be invited to. This really makes you feel like you are something. Oh, and yet, it seems like the more, the more my relationship with Jesus grows and becomes more real, the less I am impressed with this kind of stuff. I mean... I look at Jesus and his willingness to take a towel and wash the feet of the 12 men that he's been with for three years, day in and day out, to show us that, that a real leader is one who is willing to serve and to humble themselves. There's no air, there's no ego. I just, again, can't help but look at the contrast and, and see what the world looks like, the, the way the world looks at success. And I mean, this is the way the, the, the world is looking at this, right here in verse 23, saying, oh, now this is success. This is, you have arrived. And yet, just the opposite is true. Unless any one of those people, no matter who they were, or who were in that room, no matter who they were, unless they humbled themselves to the realization of their need for a Savior, every last one of them will go to hell. And that's the truth. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. I would dare say, I mean, maybe he washed up a little, but I don't think Paul is going to look like the rest of those people in the room. Now remember, he's been under prison guard for over two years now. And so... Again, I'm just trying to get you to look at this picture. So Paul was brought in, Festus as King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in, in Caesarea. And they're shouting that he ought not to live any longer. So Festus is just Laying it out there, he's, he's not sparing any words, is he? He said, the whole Jewish community. So he's kind of saying, there's big numbers here, and they're petitioning me about him in Jerusalem. They're, they're saying that they're shouting that this man ought not to live. But then he is willing to be honest and say, I found he had done nothing deserving of death. 
but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about. I mean, he's saying, I, I, I know he's appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he will go, and I am willing to send him to Rome, but, you know, I really got to have some substance. I can't send him before Caesar and say, I couldn't find a thing wrong. And then Caesar's going to look at him as some dunce. Like, why in the world did you send him to me then? But see, he wants to please those Jews. I have nothing definite to write to his majesty. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may think that I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Now, that's the way this chapter ends. And you can't help but want to go back. I mean, you want to go back and say, I want to see how, okay, what happens next? I mean, Festus is just bottom line saying, King Agrippa, um, I don't have anything. Um, I need your help on this because I think it's unreasonable. <laughs> I think he thinks it's more than, than unreasonable. I don't want him to think that I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm sure there's a little self-concern about this <laughs> himself. He's saying, I don't want to send him. It makes me look bad. I don't have anything to send Now, I did go into 26, and this is all I'm going to do, but because I, I want you to be anticipating. I want you to think, okay, now, you know, remember, Festus says, all right, here is this man. I'm presenting you this man, and I want you to be picturing Paul. As he's brought this lowly prisoner who probably looks a little weather-beaten because he has been broken bodily. And like Paul even talks about, he bore the scars. I'm sure he's aged. I'm sure his, his wardrobe has a lot to be desired. He's standing there in the, in, the, in the middle of the prominence of all these, of these prominent people. This is quite a sight. This is, a, this is quite a setting. You've got the governor saying, I, don't, I, don't, I have nothing. I have nothing on him. I tried to send him back to Jerusalem, but he appealed to Caesar, but I have nothing. King Agrippa, tell me what to do. This is what Agrippa did. This is what King Agrippa did. Just going into the chapter of 26, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have my permission to speak for yourself. Oh, this is so the Lord in the middle of it all. 
and next week, and that's why I didn't want to just combine the two chapters. I wanted you to have a picturesque look in your mind of what is going on, the people involved here. To be able to see the confidence of Paul, the lack of fear, the humbleness, the willingness, despite what he looked like or what they thought of him, he is going to speak with such confidence. Why? Because he is sold out. He is sold out on his Savior. You know, you have Felix and then Festus and the King Agrippa and then Caesar himself. In your questions, and at the end, I, I said to you again, don't you see? This is so like Jesus. And how in the world, they, how Jesus, Paul, they just get passed on. Why? Because they, they find no fault in him. The Romans can't find fault. And so what in the world is going on here? Who is giving Jesus, Paul, the most trouble? Religious people who are caught in their religion that personally don't know Jesus as their Savior, and this is the action that comes out of your life. I know I say this all the time, but we have to look at our hearts and say, am I real? Have I been able to see changes in my actions, in my behavior, in my attitude, even in my thoughts, in my compassion toward others? Do I really have a longing for souls? Am I even willing to love my enemies? Am I willing to let God's Spirit change me so much that I am willing to desire his success instead of the world's kind of success. Because the Holy Spirit's definition of success, well, he's standing right here in chapter 25. Humble as can be, but an extraordinary man of God who is willing right now to be able to use this opportunity to make his stand for Jesus, a soldier of the cross. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for repeating yourself over and over for using Paul. And sometimes these trials kind of, we have tendency to look at it and think, oh, not again, not again. But may we look at that and say, yes, but again and again, and he's willing to not lose heart. He's willing to, to use every opportunity to believe that whatever state he's in, to be content, to be able to be used even if it's totally different than he expected. Father, may we love you that much that we take a look at these lessons and say, 
What do you see when you look at me? Does, does, is my heart growing like Paul's? Do I love you as much as Paul does? Am I willing to do whatever it takes for someone's soul, for the cause of Christ? Am I willing to stand up for Jesus? Because I want nothing less than being a soldier of that cross. To lift that banner high. The banner of a Savior who died and rose and is coming back and in the meantime preparing a place for his children. Father, we are confident of our future because of what Jesus has done and may we live our life like it. We should wake up like Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, I say rejoice. We pray this all in Jesus' name who makes this all possible. Grace, grace, God's grace. It pardoned us, it cleansed us, and now this grace is going to lead us home someday. What a way to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.